Well, thank you so very much, praise team and Bill, for that very special time worshiping the Lord together in song and in the reading of his holy word. And it's so good to see you here on this Labor Day weekend. Welcome to those of you that are watching by live stream. We're so glad that you could join us. Many of us know that Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a best-selling book entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. That book sold four million copies. Can you believe that? Four million copies. And uh, this man, this rabbi, endured the heartache of a son dying of the condition known as progeria. Progeria is a genetic disorder where a child ages rapidly. And doesn't that just rend your heart? To think of not only what happened to his son, but then to think of a parent watching that helplessly day by day as your child rapidly ages in front of your very eyes and usually dies by the age of 13. As Kushner struggled with all of this, he concluded in his book that life is unfair and even God can't do anything about it. He wrote in his book, God is as frustrated, even outraged, by the unfairness on this planet as anyone else, but he lacks the power to change it. According to Kushner, God is compassionate, but he's weak. And millions of people found comfort in this portrayal of God. Now I have a question for us this morning. If God is just like us, compassionate and caring, but weak and limited, do we have a bigger problem? Yeah, we certainly do. In fact, listen to how Pastor Jim Boyce describes it. He says this, if we do not understand that God is all-powerful, we do not have a right understanding of God at all. We are thinking of some other being. If God is not all-powerful, there must be some power or powers greater than God. If that is the case, God's power must be thwarted and his proper sovereignty restricted by circumstances, human beings, or Satan. What kind of God would that be? R.C. Sproul used to put it this way. If there is one maverick molecule in all of the universe, one maverick molecule in all of the universe, then God is not sovereign. And if God is not sovereign, He is not God. Now this morning, we are coming back to our series in Psalm 139 on knowing God. And we come today to His omnipotence. We have seen so far in this psalm that God is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, and now this morning we come to his omnipotence. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 139, and I want us to focus for just a moment on the very first word because it is very important that we see how verse 13 begins. Look at the very first word of verse 13, for, for. Now, for gives us a reason for what precedes. 
So this is telling us that this section of the psalm is explaining why God is omniscient and omnipresent. You see, how do we know that God knows everything? How do we know that he is everywhere present? Well, do you know we cannot know empirically, can we? We can't point to some phenomenon and say, oh, I know because of that that God is omniscient, and I know because of this that God is omnipresent. So then what does prove it? Well, God's omnipotence does. And is there plenty of evidence for God's omnipotence? Are you with me this morning? Yes, there certainly is. Now, brothers and sisters, David then is giving us a very profound insight. He is telling us that God's omnipotence is the basis for his omniscience and his omnipresence. You see, God's attributes always and forever are interrelated. They can never be separated from one another. So if one attribute falls, what happens to the rest? Yeah, they're like dominoes that fall as well. In this case, if omnipotence falls, both omniscience and omnipresence fall because they are based on the omnipotence of God that he has no limits. So this morning, what we are looking at is essential. It is necessary. It is foundational. Without it, God is not God. Now let me preview for you what David is going to do in this section of the psalm. We'll begin it this morning and finish this section next week, but he does three things. First of all, he gives us the theme of God's omnipotence. And then because he knows we are creatures who need illustrations and examples, the second thing he does is gives us the magnitude of God's omnipotence. And then finally, because all truth about God is practical, he gives us our response to God's omnipotence. So let's begin with the theme of God's omnipotence. Look now with me again at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now let's just stop right there. Are you ready? Here's the theme of God's omnipotence. God made you his crowning achievement. Let me say that again. God made you his crowning achievement. You see, it's surprising that when God wants to demonstrate that he's all-powerful, that he would not use the mountains or the stars. He could have, for example, pointed to Polaris, the star that we know as the North Star, the first star that appears in the night sky in the evening. Let me tell you a little bit about Polaris. It is 50 times bigger than our sun. Its diameter, are you ready, is 44 million miles across. How many think that is a pretty good example of God's omnipotence? Yeah. Or David could have pointed to Mount Everest, the highest mountain peak in the world. But he doesn't do that. 
And I have to ask myself this question, why would he choose you and me as the examples of God's omnipotence? Well, David knew his Bible very, very well. And one of the words he will use in these verses for created comes from Genesis chapter 1, and he is clearly referring back to the creation account. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, and who was created on the last day, the sixth day? Humankind. You and me. Now, why did God save us for last? Well, I think the answer is very clear. We were his crowning achievement. We were the greatest exhibit of God's almighty power, his omnipotence. Do you know, it's very interesting as the, the rest of the Bible refers to the creation account, you often see this sequence where the creation of mankind is included last. For example, Zechariah 12 and verse 1 says this, Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, who founded the earth, and formed the Spirit in mankind. And then you find the same pattern again in a verse like Isaiah 42, verse 5. Notice the pattern. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. There's the pattern. What is mentioned last? The creation of you and me. Now, you know what? I will never climb Mount Everest. That's never going to happen. I will never look through the Hubble telescope and see the grandeur of Polaris, the North Star. But every morning when I get up and look in the mirror, what do I see? I see the crowning achievement of God's power. Can anyone say with me this morning, how good is God to make what is most accessible to us the greatest proof of His omnipotence? How good is God to make what is the most accessible to us the greatest proof of His omnipotence? Look no further than your own reflection in the mirror and you will know God is all-powerful. Now, David understands that we need to see an illustration of this. To see the greatness of God's power, we need to see illustrations of the magnitude of it. And so he moves in this portion of the psalm to the magnitude of God's omnipotence, and he goes into detail about our human development. Now this morning, I am holding in my hand the exact replica of 11 to 12-week-old pre-born baby. You can see that it's about two and a half inches long, and it comfortably fits in the palm of my hand. 
If you could look very closely this morning, you would see this 11 to 12 week preborn infant has all the features of a fully developed baby. It is awesome. It is awesome. Now with the development of modern technology, we can see through an ultrasound machine what God alone is able to see. I was given this little model from a Christian pregnancy services ministry downstate, and I think all of us know one of the best gifts given to the care clinic is an ultrasound machine. Because when a mother sees an ultrasound, what does she know immediately? She knows that's a baby. That's a baby. That is a living human being. And the next thing that she knows is this. I have to protect that life. I must choose life. That's the choice that I have to make. Now, I'm planning to come back to this next week when we talk about our response to God's omnipotence. But I want to just pause here for a moment because this is very important. I've had several women in the course of my ministry who've told me that they've had abortions. Do you know one out of four American women will have an abortion by the time they are 45? Think of that this morning. Let that sink in. And a passage like this is very hard for women who've had an abortion and now understand what the Bible teaches. And I want to just say right up front, the God who created you is also the God who can forgive you. The God whose power made you is the God whose power sent Jesus Christ to the cross and whose power raised him from the dead so that we could be cleansed, forgiven, and brought into the family of God. And no matter what we have done in our past, there is no unforgivable sin, and God wants to cleanse you, God wants to wash your guilt away, and God wants you to know you have peace with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same Bible that tells us what is right and wrong is the same Bible that tells us God is a God of love, grace, and mercy. Amen this morning? Amen. Well, now the amazing thing here is this. In a pre-scientific world, David puts an ultrasound on the womb. He does for the ancient world what an ultrasound does for the modern world. Is not the Bible an amazing book? A thousand years before Christ, in Psalm 139, here we have an ultrasound on the womb that we might see the magnitude of God's omnipotence. Now the first thing about this magnitude that David shares with us is this, God prepared your life. God prepared your life. The first thing we learn here in verse 13 about this infant in the womb is God created both our body and our soul. 
We are a body, soul, unity. We have a material part, that's the body, but we also have an immaterial part that is called the soul. Now, if I were to say to us this morning and ask this question, how many believe we have a soul as well as a body? I think most of us would raise our hands. If I said, how many of us believe that the soul survives the body when it dies in an afterlife? Most of us would raise our hands. But then here's the question I want to ask. I want us to think about this. How do we know? Especially when some very smart people say there is no soul that exists. They say all we are is a physical being made up of chemical properties. And when the body dies, that's it. There's no afterlife, there's no soul that lives on in heaven or in hell. And then I want you to consider this. What empirical evidence is there to prove that we have a soul? What tests could we perform that would definitively say we have a soul because the soul is invisible? Let me ask you this morning, what test could you give that would demonstrate that all of us this morning have a soul? Now, we might be able to theorize that we have a soul. We might be able to surmise it. Uh, for example, this morning, if I were to use uh, Chris and Pastor Hank and myself as examples, I could say this, we all have the genetic makeup of males. We are all alike bodily. What makes us different is our personality. So we are all alike bodily, but we are in different in our individuality. So we might be able to theorize then what makes us different is our personality. And we could say the soul is where the personality or the individuality resides. So the soul we could theorize is what makes us unique. But that still isn't proof, is it? That still isn't proof. You see, science can prove the physical world, but it cannot prove the invisible world. What we call the metaphysical world. By the way, I need to make this very clear to students who may one day be sitting in a science class and the professor may say, all that exists is the physical world. There is no such thing as a soul. When you die, that's it. And what we need to realize is science can prove the physical world, but it cannot prove the invisible world. If we are to know that we have a soul as well as a body, who must tell us? God. God must reveal this to us. And that is the very first thing that God tells us about this infant in the womb. This infant has a soul as well as a body. 
Look again at verse 13 and notice this. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's the physical body. You formed my inward parts. That's the invisible soul. Do you know the text here literally reads, you form my kidneys. You form my kidneys. Now, the kidneys, we know, are the deepest organs in the body cavity. In fact, every deer hunter knows this, don't they? I'm not a deer hunter. I haven't cleaned any deer on my own. But I know this. When you got a deer, the last organs you get to are the kidneys. They are the deepest organs in the body cavity. Now, in Hebrew thought, then... Those kidneys represent our innermost being, our heart, the core of our inner person, the soul. And so what we understand then is the soul is what makes you human. It's your mind, your emotions, your will, your conscience, your relational abilities, and the soul is what makes you an individual. The soul is your personality, your intelligence, your skills, and your gifts. And David is telling us God creates the soul as well as the body. Now, I have a question here this morning. Why can we believe it when God says we have a soul as well as a body? Why can I look at this and say, I believe what God says, even though there's no test that can prove we have a soul? What's the answer? He's all-knowing, right? He's all-knowing. And why do we believe God is all-knowing? Well, he's all-powerful without limits. And why do we believe that God is all-powerful? We can look in the mirror, can't we? And what we see staring back at us, or what the mother sees when she looks at the ultrasound, is exhibit A of a creator. Now, I want to say this to you this morning. If we have an omnipotent creator with no limits, he must also be omniscient, right? Right? If we have an omnipotent creator with no limits, he must also be omniscient. And such an omniscient being is eminently believable when he says, I formed your inward parts, your soul, and I knitted you together in your mother's womb, your body. You see, if we have an omnipotent God who is omniscient and omnipresent, then we have no problem believing what he says. No wonder David stops right here in verse 14 and breaks out in praise and wonder. Look at what David says in verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Oh, what a wonderful God that he would take an ultrasound 
And here in this very text, show us the thing that he alone is able to see, that we might see the wonder of his omnipotence. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's praise him and thank him as well. Father David paused in wonder and in awe. And that's what worship is. It is pausing in wonder and in awe before the God who has made us so that we are the crowning achievement of his omnipotence. And then through his precious word, because he knows all things, has revealed truth that we could never know on our own except in grace and condescension. He has revealed it to us. And so we pause. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful, and our souls know that right well. And so we adore you, we thank you, we love you, we obey you, and we follow you. I pray for that person this morning who does not know this God in a personal way. He loved us so much that he in his power sent his son who went to the cross. And then in a demonstration of his almighty power raised him from the dead and seated him high above every name that can be named. And he rules and reigns in majesty today. And yet he desires to be our Savior, our Lord, our personal friend. And I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice or watching by live stream who yet needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might come to the foot of his cross, confess their unworthiness, their sinfulness, their fallenness, and come to him for mercy, for giving grace, cleansing, and the wonderful renewal that happens when the Holy Spirit enters our lives. I pray today for some this may be a day when they are born anew through faith in what Christ has done. I pray for the rest of us this morning, Lord. When we look in the mirror in the morning, we see us. But now we realize we are to see something far more profound. When we look into the mirror, we are to see God's handiwork. We are to see His creative power. And we are to bless Him 
and love Him and adore Him and serve Him. We love you today, Lord Jesus, for your sake. Amen.